Scully, energize. Energize. Good evening. <clears throat> My name is Lon Friend. I come bearing gifts of tunes and tales. I have no script, no agenda, no sense, no dollars. I am a witness to so many cool things because I believe in the Jungian concept of synchronicity. That there are no accidents. You know, that, that movie Signs, where Mel Gibson is telling Joaquin Phoenix, so there are two groups of people. People who believe one way, the other way. And it's about faith and fear. Now, I'm in Los Angeles, so I don't live here. So this podcast doesn't have a groove or it doesn't have traction, <laughs> but it doesn't need traction because it's it's such a gift that your producer and your engineer who has this beautiful studio, the L.A. Radio Studio in the Ports of Call, San Pedro, California, says, Lon, whenever you feel like coming by, this is your home. And home is a concept that is elusive seductive, intrusive. Hi, Wendy. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a state of being. Now, I'm speaking to the Bedouins, folks like me who've done some moving around. Life took them in different directions. I've physically, geographically, spiritually, emotionally moved 10 to 15 times in the last so many years, that's okay. Because the more we move, it's like Peter Gabriel lyric from that song, Sky Blue, I keep moving to be stable, free to wander, free to roam. Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. We are here for you. I am here for you. I am your conduit. I just wind up in places where the universe says, oh, we put you here, Lon Friend, so you could tell the fans about how cool it is to be close to the flame. Because oftentimes that flame is burning a lot of light. Case in point, the main impetus for coming to L.A. this trip was because my friend Jay from Chicago, who works in the movie business, but has the purest rock and roll musicologist collectible multi-genre sense of the world and because he knows tech he gets all these toys like he's got this apple tv and i'm at his place in santa monica and while the music is shuffling through his itunes collection and i'm hearing all this great stuff there's this visual on his tv this big really clear picture of 
the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. And the camera is like moving in on the bridge and the cars are moving across the bridge. And I'm looking, I'm going, what? Is this animation or is this like, do you remember what the stoners invented? Do you remember when you used to listen to your iTunes and then you could put on this thing called the hypnotizer or the, what was that called? The visualizer. And then all of a sudden you see these holographic 3D images and these colors. And I go, oh man, how much weed do they smoke at Apple? Who came up with this? This is a variation of that. I still, after watching this thing in the background while listening to tunes for like an hour, I don't know whether it's animation or there's a like a satellite camera hovering over the bay shooting the cars going across. It's so sharp anyway. So I come to L.A. because like eight months ago, Jay gets two tickets, three really, because Jill went, and she's a goddess, Canadian, to see Marillion at the Saban Theater next door to the Larry Flint building. All these things are connected, right? Geography, synchronicity. So we're in the we have third row. I come in, we go to the show two nights ago, 20 whatever the date was. Today is October the 24th, 2016, so there's some reference cuz this will be in an archive somewhere for posterity. And my and my friend John Wesley who was the touring guitarist for Porcupine Tree, the one of the greatest bands the world ever known, Stephen Wilson, the prodigy genius. We uh we're, we watch John said it's him and a guitar, invisible rhythm section. It's got it all electronic, and it's great. And then Marillion, and they play this magnificent show. We're in the third row, and it's not like arena. It, you know, they play arenas and stadiums in Asia and Europe and other parts of the world. 32 years of making music. And my first Rip article was the Clutching at Straws album, the last Fish record with Marillion. Anyway. So this show is just transcendent. Okay. Next day, I'm having dinner with Fred Corey, my friend, the great drummer of Cinderella, who programs the music for the Kings and does this, does the score for a show called Night Shift on NBC. Forget all that. That's bio crap. Here's what's real. Fred Corey has one of the truest hearts. He is honest. He's funny, and I love him, and he's in that small group where the rock star became my friend. So we have dinner at the Rainbow. And like halfway through the meal, I look over it and, and these two gentlemen are being seated at another table. And I go, Fred, that's Steve and Steve from Marillion. That's Steve Rothery, the lead guitarist. And that's Steve Hogarth, the lead singer. They're the Gabriel and Hackett of Marillion. And and uh, I got to say something. He goes, dude, go over and talk to him. So I introduced myself. And I had had a lunch with Hogarth and keyboardist Mark Kelly right after Fish left and Steve joined the band in like 88. This is 28 years ago. So I, I start yammering on because I get so animated so, you know, I took you to lunch in 88 and blah, blah, blah. And it did, none of that mattered. What mattered was we sat down and I told him, you you were like Bowie, Brian Ferry, all rolled up last last night. You, you're a phenomenal man. And he sings about heavy stuff. And the, the, the record, 
It's called Fear, the new record. It's like the 18th album. These are not new kids on the block. This is how you build a legacy, how you build fans around the world, and you have a career without hits. You just keep producing great material, and your fans will follow you anywhere. Nobody in the rainbow would recognize these two guys. Nobody. So I just, it was so cool. And then we got, you know, got, got him a glass of Cabernet. And they were so friendly. And then that's it. Okay, so how does that happen? That they're there at the rainbow the next night after, night after I see him. Well, at that moment in time, at that hour. Okay, so that's that. Now I walk out the door to take my friend Chris to her car. And there's all these people in front of the whiskey. You got to walk east on sunset you, you know you're gonna pass the whiskey so i see this guitar player well you know he has his guitar in his hand and i recognize him instantly i go vivian lun no, vivian campbell lun lun friend what are you doing here man i said well i i was just having dinner at the rainbow and i was walking we're playing man last in line i go yeah cool come on in man and then i end up and I and those guys, you know, Andrew Freeman's from Las Vegas. So here I am inside the whiskey. Now, what is it? I'm this like bottle on the ocean bobbing up and down and the, the, the wave just takes me places. I have no control over anything. There's two ways to look at this. One is, yeah, that's it. But I also came up with this, this thought recently that i've been so going with the flow for so long the last 10 or 15 years that the flow has taken me so far offshore that i can't even i don't even see what's happening with the real people sometimes because i've been flowing so far the river gets so far down and i mean it's like the nile and the ganges these are not creeks so i started to think to myself you know what I'm going to start understanding that the flow is also within my purview, that I have an effect on the flow. Whoa, dudes, are you kidding? What a revelation. Then you start letting shit go more, and you have gratitude for every moment. If you could just reproduce how you feel when the lights go down, and your band, whatever band it is, I don't care if they're punk rock, heavy metal, prog rock, AOR, middle of the road, singer-songwriter alone with the guitar in a club, when the light goes out and the song starts, if you get that feeling in your heart, that vibration that feels so good because you're supposed to be there and all the news disappears, all the toxicity, the rhetoric, the lying, the agendas, the greed, the special interests, all of it just evaporates. It evaporates. It's gone, and you're just there. Digging it, man. So you know where I'm coming from. Okay, I speak to you. How long have I been talking? Oh, geez. 11. See, 11's my number. 11 minutes. So this is Energized Lawn Friend Podcast, and I'm just going to play songs. I may get calls, a couple people, maybe. I may not. Wendy and Nadia are here. Hi, ladies. Hey, Lon. 
Nadia can't talk because she has laryngitis. Yeah, so I'm just here on the vibes. I'm always better when I'm surrounded by goddesses. You guys know that, anybody who followed this show. This is our 62nd maybe show, Mike, 62nd or 63rd. But it's infrequent because I don't live near this great studio anymore. Anyway, I'm going to play, because I've been listening to a lot of Paul Rogers. I've been listening to this. My daughter got me into Hot Chip because we took this drive to Zion, father-daughter drive, and she played me her tunes, her, what her generation gets that feeling when the lights go out. Now, understand Megan can always get that vibe with her dad. Like we saw Guns N' Roses at Dodger Stadium together when the lights went out and the opening riff, familiar riffs, Appetite for Destruction. You know, she, look, Axl Rose held Megan Rose's friend when she was four months old, month old at our house in Culver City at, a, at my birthday. None of that means anything. It's all about the lights going down and you're getting the vibe. Okay. So I've been getting the vibe a lot lately, and I'm going to share some ta- thoughts and music. And there's this uh, induction thing called the Rock Gods Hall of Fame. I'd never heard of it till two months ago, and they somebody, my friend Leah, suggested that I get in- inducted. How do, how are you supposed to react when you get inducted to something that you never heard of? You go, wow. Can I? Can you tell me what it's about? And then they tell you what it's about. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. Who else is getting inducted? Michael Anthony. That's all you have to say. I mean, there's a bunch of other people, but Michael Anthony. Okay. So what do I do? Tell the story about my junior year at UCLA, and I'm driving my, miss nine, what was it, 1966 VW Bud, Bug, red, big muffler, big fat tires, and my Uncle Ed cherried out for me. He was a mechanic on Hillhurst. His whole life he was a mechanic, and I changed oil for him in in the 70s he paid me like six dollars an hour anyway um driving at ucla one day school 1978 junior year and i'm i got the radio on i think it was kmet yeah and you hear this in that guitar sound that was okay what planet did that come from because i've never heard that before and that was my introduction so here i am on this gonna be inducted into this hall of fame with real musicians i'm not a real musician i can't play anything i just write about it and that's the baseline that i heard 38 years ago that got me into Van Halen that that the, what gets you into the band that you love bassline riff how many riffs have you heard that's like oh pff, man that's the riff that got me that got what was the Al Cooper riff it's just riffs so many Beatle riffs Stones riffs Okay, so we're going to be riffing tonight and playing tunes, and maybe people will call, maybe not, and it doesn't really matter because uh, I don't get paid for this except in love and good vibrations. Let's start it with some Marillion from their masterful new record called Fear. This is Energize, the Lawn Friend Podcast. 
top of conscious decision The welcoming smile is the new cool The key left in the outside of the unlocked door
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. Bad company. The and I use this word not that often to describe rock stars who are in their sixties who made such an impact decades ago, mostly in the seventies. Paul Rogers is as important a vocal presence in the history of rock, mainly because his pipes maintain over the decades. Some of the greats that we go see and pay big bucks because now they could they, they get whatever because you don't know how much longer they're going to be around, so super expensive. But hey, you want them to you want to hear the songs that 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 resemble, mirror, reflect, or are pretty close to the way you heard it when it gave you that that boner the first time, right? You listen to Paul Rogers in Bad Company now. You go see him live. They're so good. Give me silver, blue and gold, color of the sky, I'm told. My rainbow is overdue. It's not just the melodies that it hits you. It's the lyrics, like a verse. That verse, I was riding my bike on a bike path on the east side of Vegas, along this wash and meandering around these parks. And there's like no one out there but me. And, I, it, and I'm listening to Paul Rogers. I'm listening to Bad Company in this like 70s mixed channel on my Apple Music. And that song, I had to stop. I went, whoa, God, I heard that song. He's singing to me. He, sing, he somehow magically, through the power of iPod, iPod technology <laughs> and streams and 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 the other thing in the ether that we don't understand that maybe Lao Tzu understood but other most people don't certainly politicians don't understand it that whoa God he is singing to me my rainbow is overdue so what happens to affirm that you know, I'm seeing Marillion two days later. The next day, I'm doing my podcast. And what does Mike Stark tell me as I'm pulling in? Look at this picture I took. And it's a photo of the rainbow over Portsacal just before I arrived this evening. And pff, how's that for a segue? Harvey Kubernick, the legendary rock journalist, is calling in. Hey, Harv. Lonnie, how are you? Do you know the Bad Company song, Give Me Silver and Gold? Yes. The color of the sky, I'm told. My rainbow is overdue. I think all of us are overdue. (laughs) (laughs) You could... you. Boy, that was kind of a metaphysical rap that you were laying out before I showed up. It was so refreshing to um, <laughs> hear you run that down, because it did remind me of the promise of the early FM radio that I discovered as a teenager in Hollywood, where I know it was called Progressive or Underground, but people had personality and yeah. choices of music, but also they would talk to the listener, they wouldn't talk down to the listener. Exactly. 
And so that was kind of a groovy scene, hearing about ports to call and, you know, <laughs> I mean, wow. Give Ladies me, and gentlemen, me. you don't understand, this, <laughs> this man has written how many books? Well, not enough because I'm still called a music journalist. I show up at your <laughs> no, show. you're an author. Can we can we finally get the coveted <laughs> author status? I I don't know how to promote <laughs> anything. A Schmendrick, you know what I mean. You are an author, and you are a historian, and 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 I love you for such a long time because <clears throat> you you are the Lester Bang character in the Cameron Crowe film because your lifestyle hasn't altered and you won't alter it because you're true to the. <clears throat> The story. It's interesting you mentioned Lester Banks because I followed him at San Diego State when I went there in the early 70s, and he went there in the late 60s. And he had a reputation on campus. Uh, you know, his writings were in the library, or maybe he wrote for the school newspaper. He was from El Cajon, nearby San Diego. And I met Cameron Crowe when he was 14, 15, or 16 when he wrote for a paper down there called The Door. Um, awesome. But I always... Uh, I appreciate the alignment. I only met Lester a couple of times. I'm, I'm thanked in the book on him that Jim DeRogatis did. Yeah. But um, I'm in it for the long haul, and as my dear physically departed friend Bobby Womack said to me more than once, we're all messengers, although sometimes I don't dig the message. Yeah. And so we're here to, um, I think both of us and the people who check out your deal um, are here for the music and the journey and the trek and the reality because there's just so much confusion and chaos and diversion and yep. out there that we all kind of need to bond Where, together. The, the, the similarity from two sort of different eras, but nevertheless you lived through, because you're a little older than me, mm -hmm. but the fact that you can tell a Stones rehearsal story in 2016, like I can tell a Marillion at the Rainbow story. <laughs> you need to share how you wound up watching the Stones rehearse not too long ago, right? Right, and again, thank you for asking. I'm, <clears throat> I'm not here to, uh, you know, it's, it's a moment that has made my phone ring and my emails happen. <laughs> of both worship, envy, hatred, taunting. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You've been through all of it. Yeah, sure. It's sort of like when you were babysitting at the Metallica Black Album session. Yeah. A lot of people want that seat, and you can't get it at StubHub, can you? <laughs> no, not even for the Gene Simmons coveted VIP ticket. <laughs> um, anyways, the Cliff Notes version okay. is... Um, I've known this band for many years. I've seen them since the late 60s. I've reviewed them or written stories about them and published things on them as early as 1974-75. I've interviewed a few of the members of the group, whether it be, you know, Bill Wyman or when Billy, Billy Preston was playing with them. And um, About 20 years ago, I connected with Charlie Watts through the drummer Jim Keltner, mm -hmm. And um, Charlie and I just, um, well, rule number one, if you talk to Charlie Watts or meet him, you don't talk stones, you talk jazz. Okay. Okay? Rule number one, if you meet a Beatle, don't talk about the Beatles. <laughs> you know? You, you, you'll eventually get your Beatle question in, but you've got to bring something different to the table. Of course. 
Okay, that being said, um, Charlie provided a, a blurb on a, um, a spoken word album I produced on the jazz, iconic jazz man, uh, Buddy Colette, because Charlie is a big fan of West Coast jazz. And in conversations with me, uh, with Keltner, sometimes during the Bridges to Babylon recording sessions, I was, come on down to the studio. Sure. Um, I was able to answer some West Coast jazz questions, whether it be about Shelly Mann, the drummer, mm-hmm. or his venue, Shelly's Manhole, or various clubs around town. And um, um, it was an interest because it was music. Right. Um, so the, the interesting thing, this all bleeds into it, I, I sort of cracked the inner sanctum because I've been writing about the Stones and places like Record Collector News Magazine or Cave Hollywood or Mix Magazine. I did an interview with the producer, uh, Don Was, from Mix Magazine. And I'm just not doing the casualty kink story on the Rolling Stones. Well, this is about relationship building, too, which is how a journalist who's not part of the family, because it's usually only family members that these icons let in. Right, and and, and so... Um, so you reconnected with I Charlie reconnected recently. And, then Char- and on the last tour, I mean, Charlie would actually call and invite me to, mm-hmm. to the gigs. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I'd pay, you know, and sit and, and sit with the the public. And yeah. then sometimes I'm fully comped, and yeah. you've been through that one. Yeah. I like both perspectives. Right. So uh, when the Stones were coming to town... Through his assistant and and Jim Keltner and Charlie, oh Charlie's in town. Uh, why don't you you know meet us at a restaurant? Um, I don't want to say the name of the right. restaurant, but but I said no. I'm working. I have to make a living. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, listen. Now they're rehearsing. Don't you live in the valley? Yeah, I'm I'm in the valley. Sure. Uh, you know Burbank, whatever. Well, hey, the, the you know the Stones are rehearsing down the street from you. Okay. Uh, I'm sure Charlie will you know or his assistant will give you a call. Okay. Why don't you come on down? Right. And um, and so I got the phone call. I mean, this is one of the times where people all what you expect people to either the flake on you or not to. But they didn't flake, and you walked in, and what did you see? Well, Just tell I, us I what you saw. Called. Listen, I'm smart enough not to bring women or anybody right. with me. That's rule number one. Okay, you, you, this is a solo flight. Okay, B because it's it's because it's sacred, hallowed ground. <laughs> yes, but there's also seven checkpoint Charlies and and limousines and security. Moses didn't have Sephra with him with, when he saw the burning bush on Mount Sinai. He so, did that solo. Anyways, I, I come come on down. And and the thing is, <laughs> and and I hope your listeners. And I hate to. I'm dragging this thing out, but I mean, yeah, this radio stop dragging. Okay, but but the thing is, I happen to be in a Stones circle right now, where I was just on BBC television with Ronnie Wood on an hour-long documentary on Bobby Womack. I'm doing some work on a documentary on the arranger, producer, composer Jack Nietzsche that Keith Richard was just... Filming. Harvey, what did you see when you walked well, anyways, into the studio? They, I know the group from just... Um, Harvey, what did you see? What did you see? In rehearsal, I saw, okay. I saw people work through tunes. Right. What songs did they rehearse while you were there? Well, it was, it was interesting. They had about 40 songs on... A big board, okay. That they were rehearsing for their Coachella dates, and I know that they were going to mix up the sets, okay. At least have a, a few different tunes the second weekend, okay. And one of the interesting images I have is Jagger has got a harmonica in one hand and this small kind of laptop on the other that has lyrics and song titles, okay. 
so they're working at the tunes. The tempos are slow, right? And everybody's there, and they do a couple songs, and there's a break, and you get some water. It's not Party City. What song did you hear? Give us one song. I saw 12 songs. Well, give me one that you heard that, that stood out, and you said, Fuck, this is going to be great to see live. Which one? Something maybe they refreshed or approached with a slightly new beat or... I, I got to hear Rocks Off with and without the horn parts. And that was interesting because I'm, in I'm in a big XL Main Street thing right now. Mm -hmm. um, I got to hear things like Fool to Cry. I got Keith and Ronnie did an acoustic. You got the silver in front of me. Nice. And, um, now you're talking. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was like uh, five feet from Charlie, and I was kind of tapping my foot or kind of touching a tambourine. And I sing, you know what? I'm jamming with the Stones. <laughs> and and Keltner is like kind of kicking me in the ribs a bit because Keltner, Keltner, uh, you know, it's funny. That you nailed it right there, dude. And, and the thing is, but then again, during the break, Keltner brought in, and this, this is like a total Lukather thing that only you would worship. Keltner says, hold on, I've got a, like a big Zildjian symbol, a pasty symbol in my car. So he was bringing in like symbols and hi-hats for Charlie <laughs> to try out. So I was just kind of, it was like my own NAM convention. <laughs> and I'm like talking about Charlie, and I said, um... I didn't know you play 7A Sticks, because, you know, I can do Musician Institute rap, okay? <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, and I said, those are thick sticks like, and we both said, Joe Morello. And I said, yeah, and then I said, uh, but I thought you were a guy that really liked, I mean, you love Chico Hamilton, and, and you know, you love Shelly Mann. And he said, well, Shelly Sticks were, had, were very thin at the end. <laughs> And so I'm having this I'm having this drum talk with with Charlie Watts. Yes, but you have to understand. Ten years ago, I sent him a book on Shelley Man. He doesn't forget these. I things. think this is why we are blessed sometimes, because you know when I'm watching the Black Record get tracked and James Hetfield is showing me how he gets the sound out of his guitar, and if he says, "Lon, this is called the Tent of Doom. Nobody from the outside sees this." And, I, and and what we get to witness, bear witness to, we need to communicate that to the fans because it's the fans that don't really know what well, the creative think, process is all about. I think what has really happened, the musicality and the instrumentation aspect yeah. of rock and roll has been delegated to like Bass Magazine or Mix Magazine, technical journals and great, the wonderful things like that. But we're not musicians, you and me. No, and that's the, the thing is, Keltner said to me, man... You get to sit at the drummer's table. <laughs> and, and I said, wow. Wow. And, and I, but, but you have to understand one other thing about me. I've been on sessions with Jim Keltner, albeit on tambourine and percussion, on <laughs> Phil Spector recording dates with the Ramones and the Paley Brothers. So I've been at, uh, tracking with him and Terry Gibbs and, and Bill Pullman and these, these wrecking crew veterans, Don Randy, Hal Blaine. Yeah. So, you know, he knew me 30 years ago as a food runner and a percussionist on, on you know, real 24-track sessions. Takes a lot to get into that room well, in no, 2016. No, no, something, but you need, you need to know this thing. Okay. Keith was... 
Yeah. First of all, where was what was Keith well, about? Okay, I'll give you the thumbnail this time. Thumbnail, because then we're gonna play some Stones. Okay, we we got to move deal. move into the ether well, of the Stones. Into, Mick was friendly, but yeah. he's running the thing. Okay, it was interesting at rehearsals. The songs drag longer, and Jagger at a few different times asked for Charlie to do a lot more ride symbol, where the things kind of grooved and faded out. That's cool. And that was kind of that was interesting. <clears throat> Now follow this one because you. I'll give you the thumbnails on everybody. You know, I forget where I feel like I'm talking to you on the phone, but there are people. <laughs> you know what? And I, 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 Highest compliment you could pay me. <laughs> okay, let me let me lay this on because I'm not going to run this down to anybody else on the radio. But I'll give it to you. I walk in there. There's Daryl Jones. Yep. He says hi. How are you? Because I sat with his brother okay. on the last Stones gig, and I said, "By the way, I was watching ESPN." And Mike Wilbon, I uh, mentioned your name. <laughs> and he said, oh, really? I said, yeah, Mike Wilbon, in the middle of some argument with Tony Kornheiser, says, says yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm one of my partners who I grew up in Chicago with is in the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and, and, and I said, what, do you know Mike Wilbon? He said, oh, he grew up with my brother before he went there to the Western. Go. There you go. So there was a, like a whole Chicago thing. Sure. And the Cubs are in the World Series. Yeah. It's all connected, man. Now, follow this. Then Ronnie Wood points to me. Okay. He runs over. Yep. And he said, writer man. <laughs> man. I didn't, you know, and I said, I'm sorry. He said, writer man, telly man. <laughs> and I said, that's right, because we, we were on and featured in this hour BBC thing on Ronnie Wood, one of his people. <laughs> Dude, that's the essence of it right there. Okay. The line out of his mouth. Yeah, so he, so, so he said to me. Do you still talk to Rodney Bingenheimer? Right. And I said, yeah, all the time. Yeah. And then Rodney said, uh, Woody said, oh, give him my love, you know. And I said, uh, uh, this is the best line of the night. <laughs> I said, you know, Rodney told me that he picked up the faces in 1971, 1970 and 71, when Rod was on Mercury for a solo album, and him and his mother in his mother's car picked up the faces at the airport <laughs> <for a> promo gig. <laughs> And and then anyway, so and I said Ronnie, and he introduced me to his wife, and his he's yeah. had new twins. And yeah. met, you know, you're meeting all the kids. You yeah. understand that? Yeah. And, Ron, and Ronnie's going, yeah. What do you think of the Stones thing, man? I haven't really seen you here before. And I said, let me tell you something. <laughs> I really needed this yep. mitzvah. Yeah. What's that mean? <laughs> I said I needed I needed this visitation because I yeah. really got mauled this week by the music. It's a music. blessing. And he said, and he said, yeah, well, you know, I always knew I was going to be in the Rolling Stones when I saw them at Hyde Park in '69. I said the Rolling Stones are cool, Ronnie, but let's be straight on one thing. It's not lost on me that you're the bass player on Jeff Beck's Truth album. <laughs> And he grabs me by my hand and takes me in another room to go meet his new twin. <laughs> Meeting the nanny and the whole... Oh, I, look I his Keith, Keith is, like, telepathic. Yeah. Keith sees the whole scenario. Yeah. So, so Keith comes by, yes. and, you know, we're reintroduced, and he knows me, and I and talk about Jack Nietzsche. And we'll, yeah, yeah. What does he say? Well... What's his gem? I said to him, this is, this is this lawn friend psychic <laughs> geography thing. Okay, all right. That I knew that I deserved this thing. Okay. And I knew that I was there not as a reporter per se. Right. 
just cemented glue of my journey or yep, something. Yeah, that's right. Karma. You're there I with karma. I said to him, um, did you read my book? I said, oh, of course. <clears throat> and I said, uh, I'm, I said, I just wrote a big cover story um, that's coming out, Record Collector News, and I said, I know you like the last one because there's a picture of him reading, yep. the, you know, that's all over the world and everything. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, I was really blown away that you mentioned Lenny Bruce in your book, and you learned a lot about American culture through Lenny Bruce, because I don't really read that stuff in any interviews mm-hmm. ever with you. He said, oh, Lenny, oh, yeah, the records, the comedy thing, oh, incredible. <laughs> so I said, by the way... Um, there's, you know, one of your songs has a line from a Lenny Bruce routine. I think it's called The Comedian at the Palladium, where the agent says to Lenny Bruce, I can't get you a booking at the Palladium or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm having some work done at my house. The pool's in and the patio ain't dry. That's <laughs> what the agent says to Lenny in this kind of okay. comedy bit. Okay. So I said, yeah, there's a, a, I heard a, a few words uh, in this comedy bit that is one of your songs. He said, oh, oh really, huh? Really, huh? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I wasn't busting him on a nick. It was only about six words total. Do you understand? Really, huh? Uh, yeah. He said, oh, yeah. They get it. Thumbs up, lad, and, and all that. And then, and then, so they're doing the rehearsal, and then him and Ronnie do, we got, you got the silk yes, together yes. acoustically. Yes, yes. Awesome. And then awesome. all of a sudden, Ronnie goes, what else are you going to do? Because Mick would take some breaks because there was some Keith things, yeah, you know? yeah. And all of a sudden, Keith kicks into the song a little T and A. Right. Where the great uh, riff song. Yeah. Where he goes, the pool's in and the patio ain't dry. <laughs> so he turns and he flips his pick at me. <laughs> and then Ronnie sees it, and Ronnie comes over and he hands me one of his picks. <laughs> and I said to Keltner, "I believe I have to leave right now." <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> The one and only Harvey Kubernick, author, historian, as awesome and original as it gets. They broke the mold, and he still has all of his hair, which is ridiculous because he's like mid-60s. Yeah. So the hell with you. Let's listen to some Stones. This is Energize, the Lawn Friend Podcast. Love you, Harvey. Thank you, man. Bye-bye.
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast, October 24th, 2016. Hot chip. Work that inside, outside. Work that more. Work that right side, left side. Work that more. Inside, outside, left side. Work the floor. Inside, outside, up top, down with more. Work that inside, outside. Work that more. Work that right side, left side. Work that more. <clears throat> this, is, this song is an anthem. It's it's kind of a modern new wave anthem 
embodying how we evolve and how we can't stop working on our shit because the world is getting crazier and it's and it's an it's not up to us to give up on ourselves we got to work it someday you might realize you got to open your eyes oh everybody has to open their eyes Todd Rundgren said that in the NAS in like 1960. Not I don't even can't see a thing till I open my eyes. Well, you you got to open your eyes. How many eye-opening songs have there been in the history of rock and roll? There won't be a quiz. There's never a quiz at Energize. Anyway, <clears throat> we often discover music when you get into the later years of your midlife. Where your child, who's now all grown up, turns you on to the music that's making her feel like that, returning to the theme, where you're in the room and the lights go out. Megan saw Hot Chip at the Greek theater, and I hadn't heard of them. And she just told me about it, and then I didn't get Flutes. That's the name of that song. Flutes. I mean, it's it's like it's as long as Stairway to Heaven, but it's 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 got something that takes you with it, and I don't know. It affects people a different way. I'm sure if you know, it's not like Iron Maiden Run to the Hills because that'll fight you a different way too. It it's 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 the genre. It's the genre that defines the reaction you're going to your your connection to that song and where it comes from. But if you look at it with a more of a global universal as to paraphrase the big Lebowski, the Royal we, if you're looking at the big picture, you will see that it doesn't matter what genre it is. It's just rock and roll and it's going to connect with you. Now, thank you, Harvey Kubernick for the just wonderful chronicle of your moments with the stones and i get that because i'm in the pin i'm in that pinch yourself kind of thing you know that jeff beck line but being based on jeff beck i was in denver like two months ago and jeff beck and buddy guy played and i find myself with a bunch of guests my guests on the patio at this beautiful place called the village green amphitheater and it's a starry night denver you know you're just you feel a little bit buzzed just because you're in denver so there's altitude and the fact that half the population is stoned so there's just something really interesting about colorado for one thing but to see jeff beck do his magical alien pickless geniusy rock show and then here he is with his band walking up to your table. There's like 20 people. And I have this picture of me and David Bowie and Slash from 1989. And Jeff walks over. I go, Jeff, can I show you a picture? And he's so spinal tap. Because, you know, that's how Christopher Guest modeled the character after. This one goes to 11. It's... Yeah, man, show me the picture. And I show him the picture, and it's me, Slash, and David Bowie. I said, 
This was taken in the dressing room. You and Stevie Ray Vaughan, Sports Arena, L.A., 1989. And every guitarist in L.A. was there. Lukather was there. Dweezil was there. Eddie Van Halen was there. He goes, yeah, man, I remember that night. That's a, Bowie, yeah, I miss him. You know, we all ended up at 4 a.m. at Slim Jim McDonald's house. <laughs> now, first, I'm like laughing because it's Jeff Peck telling me he remembers this night where this photo was taken 28 years ago. And then I go, wait a minute, Slim, I only know one Slim Jim. That's got to be Slim Jim Phantom from the straight cat. So I do a quick on my phone, Wikipedia. I go, that's his real name, Slim Jim McDonald. But here's, this is the best line of the night, though. I have Nicole from Colorado Springs with me, who I met at an M3 metal festival, hair metal festival in Baltimore. She's got her boyfriend, John, who worships Jeff Beck. So they're standing with me, and I introduce. Jeff, this is Nicole. And John, he's the Jimmy Page in a Led Zeppelin tribute band. So Beck takes a sip of his champagne, looks John right in the eye and says, is that hard? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) He was the deer in the headlights. He he had permagrin for the... We went to like Denny's because we were so hungry, and his green, he couldn't even chew his hash browns because his permagrim wouldn't go away. Now, this is one of those, like, Harvey just puts you in a spot, right? And it's like, consider the source, which makes the story really reverberate. Consider the source. It's Jeff Beck commenting on Jimmy Page, who he was in the Yardbirds with 50 years ago, who knows. Something about Page, but nobody touches Jeff Beck, not even Jimmy Page. So, is that how it has so many layers to it? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I mentioned my daughter turned me on the heart chip, and my friend Melissa, who's Jeff's publicist, at the Greek Theater at the Brian Wilson Jeff Beck show a few years ago, took us in the dressing room. And Melissa says, Jeff, this is Lon Friend and his daughter, Megan. And Megan says, I listen to Blow by Blow with bubbles and candles in the bath. And he just takes a sip of his champagne and says, Darling, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Get this lady a glass of champagne. I didn't mean to sound like Austin Powers there. That was a mistake. But I, when we went on our trip, we went to Cedar Breaks. There's a 10,000-foot lookout where you can see the exquisite multicolored hues of these primordial rock formations that go down 10,000 feet. They're like steps, like stairways, to heaven, forgive me. 
So I make this video clip, and it's me and Meg listening to Blow by Blow in the car and getting out of the car and walking to the edge. And I'm shooting this, and I go, we're with Magic Jeff, and we're walking to Cedar Breaks, and we're check this out. And this is like me being goofy, lawn, loves rock, and his daughter more than anything. And we walk up to this cliff, and there it is. And I go, right? And so I sent this clip to Melissa, and she writes me back, Lon, that's so great. I forwarded it to Jeff. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) this is Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. Mike, what are we playing next? (laughs) Yes, it only happens infrequently. But without a script, so much good shit happens. Lenny Bruce. Yeah, Lenny Bruce. I I love doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Stark, for having me back at the L.A. Radio Studio. Thank you, Jeff Beck. Let's listen to some blow-by-blow.
Southern Rock. That that's uh, Leonard Skinner. So uh this is Lon Friend, the Energized Lon Friend podcast. That um I that goes out to my brother Rick in Vegas because a month ago or so we were driving back from playing Coyote Springs golf course in the middle of nowhere, which my brother calls the ninety five North the Never Never Road. There's nothing out there but aliens and unmarked government cars and a golf course. <laughs> Truly exquisite. So on the ride back, he's cranking Skinner's greatest hits. And four days ago, October 20th, was the 39th anniversary of Ronnie Jane's, <coughs> excuse me, of Ronnie Van Zant's departure from Planet Rock. And I wanted to bring up the show Roadies. Which is which was on Showtime, and Mike Stark and I were talking about it. We watched every episode. 
there was one episode that truly stood out. And uh, it's Cameron Crowe created it with J.J. Abrams and others. But it's a total almost famous vibe about what it's like to be on the road. And it's romanticized in Hollywood eyes. But the heart of it was absolutely true. There is an, one episode, and you can go on your Showtime On Demand and watch the Leonard Skinner episode where their tour manager is talking about his relationship with Ronnie Van Zant and the crazy shit and the show. It was really great how they reproduced. Ronnie had the whole band stop drinking, stop partying, stop getting in trouble to prepare to open for the Rolling Stones in front of a huge, massive audience. And that was the night, the only time possibly in history, except maybe when Guns N' Roses opened uh, at the Memorial Coliseum, which I attended, was when the opening end just gave the headliner a run for their money. And footage is in this episode. <clears throat> it's, it's just really great. Not so much like the vinyl program on HBO, which I thought started slow but got really good, about the 72 scene in New York City, you know, the New York Dolls. and It, it's, it was romanticized, too, but I, I really like how Cameron did those few episodes of Roadies. And this is, this is the line in What's Your Name, Little Girl? Because, you know, I've been on the road. I was with Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood, Aerosmith, Pump, Get a Grip, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, okay, Bon Jovi on three continents. I saw stuff. I don't necessarily write about those kind of things because, to me, it's all about the music. But this line, when I come back here next year, I want to see you again. <laughs> And then, what was your name? <laughs> oh, the the loss of innocence. It's it's the rite of passage. It it was what defined the road. And I mean, the seventies, Skinner and Zeppelin. They they're the hammer of the gods. Almond Brothers. But then you move into the 80s where everything is just completely, the, the rule book, it's not only thrown out the window, you chase it out the window so you could burn it. That's what happened to the rule. The rule book <laughs> is ashes on the sidewalk. And that's the whole Sunset Boulevard glam era that Rip Magazine and we were right in the middle of it, and those those are precious stories. Amoral, vibrant. I get interviewed for documentaries every now and then, like Rock Wives. I do, all I talk about is the courage that these women had to deal with these narcissistic maniacs that were showing them the time of their fucking life. What was your name, little girl? <laughs> oh, so that was for my brother who has been playing rock and roll for his son since they were babies and they're 28 and 25 and 
my daughter, 26. So like, we're, we're not old, man. We're just older, to borrow a Bon Jovi lyric. And it's okay, because that... When when fans write to me and they say, Godline, you had the life, you that's what I wish I was born too late. I wish I'd have been there when Appetite for Destruction came out and I wish I was there. And I said, No, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And the great thing about music, especially in this on demand touch the digital world, instant gratification you have the whole all vault archive at your fingertips so whenever it hits you that you're going to be in that moment that you want to tap into whatever your parents or your brother your sister your friends were into because they're older you get to do it you get to do it so it's not i wish i'd live back then you get people like harvey and me and then and the numerous other around there who if they get access and they can spread it with light and not with darkness then you know what it's like but really it doesn't matter about being behind the velvet ropes it matters about being in the in the stands or being in the in the seat and getting that vibe that's all that really matters at the end of the fucking day okay so it's energize the long friend podcast I'm gonna play another song and then i'll come back and continue not making sense
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. <clears throat> Guns and Roses. What? See if I if if I if I just felt like like really working hard tonight, I'd call Fred Corey and have him tell the story. But I'm gonna paraphrase it because last night at dinner at the Rainbow, he tells me this great story. Tom Mayhew was the stage manager for GNR. The the loudest years, the craziest years. Great guy, never ruffled by anything. Total attitude. Don't fuck with Tom. Gets shit done. So he's out doing Axel ACDC shows where Axel filled in. For, you know, he just became the singer. And Mayhew sends Fred a note and says, there's one show left. You better get your ass out here to see it. And Fred goes, where is it and when is it? And it's like two days later in another city in the Midwest, somewhere in the East. And Fred goes, okay, I'm there. And Tom hooks him up for the tickets, and and and, and Tom says, I'm, you want to, I'm going to take you in to see Axel. And Fred is still kind of, Lana hadn't seen him in over 20 years. And I know what that's like, because I haven't physically seen Axel in over 20 years. But I watched him rock the Dodger Stadium, and I have stories to tell from those absolute vintage years of destruction and debauchery and brilliance. Witness, I was really excited that that uh, my slash cover story, co-authored by me and the late great Jeffrey Rester, my friend who passed away a couple years ago, that they reprinted that for the Guns N' Roses special Rolling Stone issue, and that my slash cover story with Jeffrey is in there, and that made me kind of happy because that was a proud, proud journalistic moment. Anyway, so Fritz says. So I walk in, and then and Axel, he's just like pinching himself. Could you believe I'm singing these songs? These are songs I sang these in the mirror when I was a kid. And, and Fred goes, "Dude, it's so good." He goes, "Man, I'm pinching myself." And I said, "He says Axel was so humble, like he, like he's just really gets where he's at now. There's this kind of sense of joy." And that was good for me to hear because when you're such an electric figure and, and notorious figure and people talk and write and whatever, but when you hear that coming from the source, because the best stories are told for you for, are, are the ones that come from the source. And Fred knows he just comes from the scene, the L.A. rock scene. He's born in upstate New York, had this great run with Cinderella, and just knows people and they like him and the people that like you they invite you out to see history and that just was what i remembered about last night and then marillion showed up and then anyway so here i look at the clock it's an hour and a half and you know i kind of doing my show without any script or timing and i figured you know i'm gonna do 90 minutes some we've done a couple longer but i think that this it's almost a wrap. So what I'm going to go out with is another moment. I got turned on about 10 years ago to this band Opeth because I'm a prog rock guy, but my career reached its apex in metal reportage. So the hybrid bands, the ones that sort of grab from both, but still maintain their sense of melody I really, there aren't that many. That's why I loved Porcupine Tree so much. And, you know, Dream Theater was great. 
Portnoy's such a prog metal guy. So Opeth is playing at the Brooklyn Bowl. They never play Vegas. And the Brooklyn Bowl is the most exquisite, cool, badass building, bowling alleys, stage, bars, masterful sound. It's just architecturally the coolest place. It was uh, built by a fellow named Peter Shapiro, who built the Brooklyn Bowl in New York, which was the cool place, the first. Let's put a bowling alley and have a band playing at the same time. What a paradox of sonic vibrations. In fact, at the Brooklyn Bowl in Vegas, Les Claypool loved the vibe of the bowling because he's Les Claypool and Primus is quirky and geniusy and it's funny. But Perry Farrell did not want the bowling going on while Jane's Addiction performed, so they had to stop bowling. So it's really a vibe, like, do you get it or don't you? Whatever. The music's always so loud, you don't hear the bowling pins. And they give the first lane to the band, like if you get there really early like it did when Spearhead was there. So me and Michael Franti did some bowling before their show. (laughs) It's a good bonding early hang thing. Anyway, so I go to see Opeth. They're from Sweden. The lead Michael, lead singer, says, We're from Stockholm, but we don't live there. We live in the suburbs because we're piss poor. <laughs> and there's no way that Opeth is piss poor 20 years of touring great records. But there's a tr- bit of truth in that because they're not like big hit makers. But sometimes the coolest bands are the ones that... that it's just they remain beloved to their fans, to the no matter how big that audience or that community that keeps that band going gets, you know when you're in a crowd, these Opeth fans were going nuts. So I'm watching the show and I'm, I'm on the floor and it's not overly crowded because it's Vegas. And this and this figure comes walking by me and I recognize Vince Lee because he's my old friend Vinnie Paul from Pantera. He's got a big smile on his face, big mutton chops, and pretty girl with him. He goes, Lon! I go, hey, Vinny. Gives me a hug. Lon, this is my girlfriend. Nice to meet you. Dude, I've never seen this band. They're blowing my fucking mind. And I go, isn't it great, Vinny? And he just, dude, take a picture with me. I go, I'd be honored. They go, I'm in the Rock God Hall of Fame. And he goes, if I'm not touring, I'm there. (laughs) It's next week. It's October the 27th at the Hard Rock Live. You could go online and probably find a ticket if you happen to be in Las Vegas. But um, that is that sort of uh, interwoven human musical time and space thing where you know you're digging the fact that this great drummer from a great band is digging another great band and you're witnessing the confluence. And that's cool. This is Energize, the Lawn Friend Podcast. Opeth put out a record recently called Sorceress. It it's it shows more of their like fo- folk. Uh, elements, but they're such an eclectic band. Sometimes they sound like Cookie Monster death metal because the vocals are so powerful when he's making like the dark statement. And then Michael will turn into 
like Peter Gabriel and sing with this beautiful and, and like Ian Anderson even. So this song I'm gonna play and I'm going out with this. I'm going out with Melody. This is from the new record Sorceress. I don't know when I'll be here again. Just to quote my uh, to quote my old friend David Coverdale, I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know where I've been. It's Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. This is Opeth. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Nadia, who has laryngitis. And um, thank you, whoever's listening. You're meant to be listening so you can pass it on. Remember what Lucy says? Remember Scarlett Johansson? Morgan Freeman says, I guess. She says, what do we do with all this knowledge? And Morgan Freeman says, I guess we pass it on. Pass on the good shit. Pass on the love. Turn off the news. Turn on the muse. When you're tired of waiting When time is not on your side When you're tired of hating me You no longer want to hide 